Hey everyone, welcome to Life of Brian Mannix, that is, the podcast with Brian Mannix, live from the Gold Coast, from the, the penthouse, and various from other things penthouse. it's been called. <laughs> yes. Is, oh. that, is, that, is that the intro, is it? Well, what did you expect? What do you want me to do? Well, I, thought, I, thought you were, I thought you were still mid-sentence, I thought you were going to say something more, but it just sort of puttered out at the end. Okay. Oh, well, all right. Well, and now, ladies and gentlemen, girls and boys... Uh, and kids of all ages, here's the star of the show, Brian Mannix. Well, thanks, Kevin. Great to be here today. <laughs> Fantastic. Oh. <laughs> yesterday, yesterday I was at the um, airport and um, I bumped into Angry Anderson at the airport. Lovely. Uh, and he's mellowed in his old age. He's just sort of slightly miffed Anderson these days. Right. Uh... You know. A little bit cranky Anderson. And somebody was telling me that um, he was doing some gig, just one of his guitars was telling him, and somebody started mouthing off or something. So he just laid into this person in the crowd and then he turns to the, you know, just starts ripping him a new arsehole. Then he turns to the guitarist and he goes, well, they're paying us to be angry, Anderson, not happy, Anderson. <laughs> <laughs> uh, good on Which him. Which I thought was great. Yeah, I was the angry, not happy, Anderson. Uh, good on him. Good on him. That's the what way it should man. be. Hey, Murcott's our fabulous uh, podcast partners. Wanted to mention them and wanted to thank Mark Lane. Mark Lane put a thing up just before Easter. Um, you know, when you're travelling over Easter, he said, here's how you should set the car up. Here's the things to look out for inside your car. That, that You know, when you start to pack a family holiday and stuff. And I, I, yep. I looked at it and thought, okay, you know what? I'm, I'm incredibly guilty of leaving things either on the back seat or on the side seat next to me uh, if I'm in the car on my own, uh, which are lethal, uh, potential lethal objects. So it's a very good tip from Mark Lane and that's the kind of good road safety advice that you get from the people at Murcotts and then they get behind the wheel of the car and teach you how to drive properly as well. So not only are you not going to, you know, do yourself a damage internally inside the car, but also when you drive it, you'll be better. Well, that sounds like a win-win situation, Kev. It is. And all you have to do to contact them is just pick up the phone. And dial 1300 576 That number again, Kev, 1300 You'll break out into that one night when the lyrics of a song, you forget the lyrics of a song, you'll go... Uh, one three hundred five 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 seven six. Is that it? No, no. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. I actually started working on a new song the other day. Yeah. I, was, I was sitting in the band room. I was just some girls were talking, and I heard this girl say, "Show me the photos from the toilets." <laughs> and I just thought, "Well, what a great line that is! <laughs> Show me the photos from the toilet." <laughs> I heard some shit going down. <laughs> Show me the photos from the toilet. <laughs> Yeah, that's, it's going it's going all right. I like that. Show me the photos from the toilet. You know, it just conjures up so many images. What's going on in the toilet? Well, there's a celebrity version of it as well. Clearly, there's a football version of it. You've got you've got about twenty different versions of that that you could easily easily hook into, uh, visually and lyrically. 
I'd like to hear the Seekers do that. I think that'd be terrific. <laughs> I might ring up Athel Guy and see if he's interested in a song called Show Me the Photos from the Toilet. <laughs> would be perfect. Would be absolutely perfect. I love it. All right, let's we get to it. We were in love. You had to spoil it. <laughs> Show me the folders from the toilet. Uh, yeah. Any suggestions you have to add to Brian's uh, song, uh, the portfolio of lyrics that are obviously currently buzzing through your head, please write them down and send them to us on our Facebook uh, pages and uh, our social media platforms that we have for Life of Brian. And send me the photos. Show me the any photos from the toilet. Photos from the toilet. Mm-hmm. Any suggestions as to what the photos from the toilet might display? Because that's a bit of a mystery to me. I'm not. I really want to see the photos from the toilet, but I don't know what to expect. Right. Anything's possible. Uh, now, our guests on this program, we've got part two of our Randy and Tell Backman interview coming up. So we'll talk about BTO. We'll talk about uh, uh, Guess Who. We'll talk about uh, The Simpsons. We'll talk about Tell's uh, incredible success with She's So High. So that's all coming up. Uh, and uh, to finish the program, we've been promising this for a couple of episodes. We're doing it this time. Um, Music that isn't getting played anywhere and is being made and is, is well worth a listen and, and people should hear it. Got a song called Rock and Roll Survivor by Harry Young and uh, Bobby Machini. So uh, it's, a, it's a duet they've done. Uh, it's about survivors of rock and roll from the 70s. It's like a rock and roll I gave you the besties of my life, but a kind of an updated version of that. Harry, funnily enough, Harry uh, was in a band called uh, Harry Young and Sabbath, which Tony Mitchell was a member of, and Tony is our first guest. And, of course, we're talking to Tony because of his Sherbet days. Well, it's just all tidy, tying up into a neat bow, isn't it? It's beautifully presented and packaged and all, all you know, all bells and whistles included. It's like photos from the toilet. Fantastic. And you will hear a song that Tony did before he joined uh, Harry Young and Sabbath. He was in another band, and I've managed to track that one down as well. So we're going to play a little bit of that uh, in this show as well. And, of course, you'll talk about that song that he wrote, which became just the biggest bloody song uh, for Sherbet and for Australian music in the 70s, and that, of course, was How's That? Yeah, great song. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really great song, and it? it's you know the words in it are really great because it's it's about cricket, but it could be just about your girlfriend. Yep, yep. And so it works on two levels. Yep. And, uh, Absolutely. Bit, bit like show, show me the photos from the toilet works on many levels. <laughs> it works on many levels. Uh, <laughs> there's a gutter level there that we're not going to. We'll quickly move on. Let's let's get to Tony Mitchell and let's find out what he's been up to lately. He's a great guy. Bringing Coco and Mel. <laughs> Oh, the, the, I was going to say the racy lifestyle of the uh, of the rock star from the seventies. Yeah, that's exactly right, mate. We all sit around in the when we play together. We sit around in the band room and we don't talk like we used to about old rock and roll things. We talk about illnesses and <laughs> and, and ways we can fix ourselves up. Oh, you know, I'll walk into the room, something the drummer will go, "How's your prostate going, mate?" And I go, "No, it's all right. How's yours?" You know. <laughs> You know what I mean? We're all over 70 in the bands I play in, or most of us, anyway. So who are you, who are you playing with these days, Tone? I'm doing a Beatles show coming up soon, the Michael Morris and Jack Jones. That'll be with Jack Housen on guitar. He's great. He's fabulous guitar player. I mean, he's yeah. amazing. A couple of gigs, there's one in Melbourne and one in uh, Sydney. And I've got the White Album tour as well with Tim Rogers and, and that crew. 
yeah. So I've been I've been doing all those Beatles shows for the last ten, twelve years. So uh, wow. they keep you pretty they keep you pretty busy because it's you know. The one thing I, one thing I noticed about doing a bit of research on you is the people you've played with. I mean, you're talking about now playing Beatles shows and stuff, but you played with Chuck Berry and Chubby Checker. You toured with with both of those two. Oh, I toured with Chuck Berry, but not Chuck. Only did one gig with Chubby, and Chubby was funny. You know, he, he got off the plane, and I think it was a a, um, a radio announcer's testimonial dinner. I think it was Bob Rogers, and uh, who'd been in radio for God knows how long, forever. He he flew in from America to do the show, and um, we did two songs that lasted over an hour. <laughs> he said, just jam on. He said, where's the bass player? And I put my hand up and said, you, just stand next to the drummer if he stops, both up and let him wake him up and so we can just keep playing. Because he gets every woman in the audience up on stage to dance with him. So uh, that was a bit of fun doing that. Oh, and Chuck Berry was uh, another whole world. But uh, wonderful, he's a wonderful, wonderful um, stage man. But you, you get to meet him, you know, like 10, 15 minutes before you go on. No rehearsal, nothing. I heard that sometimes his guitar was a bit out of tune and he just didn't care. Was he? How was he to work with? It was good. He, I think he liked us. You know, we even did – that was on that Rock Legends tour back in that, the late 80s. Everyone was on it. It was really great fun. He did a gig on his own with us. And he went and played for he played for over an hour, which is pretty unheard of in the in the in the life of um, Chuck Berry. <laughs> so he, he was yeah. having a good time, and his guitar was a bit, you know, it was a bit out of tune. And he said, "Can you tune it for me?" And I looked at it and I said, "Yeah, I can tune that, mate. If, if you've got uh, an oxy welder around, I'm pretty sure I can do that." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he hadn't changed the strings for about a hundred years, you know. They were rusted on to the to the tuning heads. Did you see the infamous that he's you know that what he's famous for is twenty minute uh, shows for a start, and the other thing is just before he goes on stage asking for a rather large bag of money or he won't go on. Yeah, well, he did that. Uh, some well, I think it was in Sydney. He takes he took his guitar case out there, and he and the audience is waiting, you know, and we're on stage just. Uh, waiting to play and he pulled his lead out and played anything. The lead was so old at the end of the lead where it was didn't even have plastic covers, they were bakelite. That's how old it was. God. And he said, My lead doesn't work. I I need more money, you know, and uh, <laughs> he wouldn't play till he got another handful of money. <laughs> we did a few shows in Sydney. It was it, he went over fantastic. So uh, he let me he let the other boys do a solo on that show, except me. He said, Mr. Drummer, do a solo, and he did a big fat solo. And he said, Mr. Keyboard Player, you, you're next, and he did a beauty. He said, now, Mr. Bass Player. I went, I hit one note, I went, doink. He said, that's enough from you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, so it was, uh, it was an interesting tour. Yeah, I'll bet. Am I right in saying that uh, at, the, uh, at the concert of the decade thing you played – you you played bass with Neil Johns and you played bass with Stevie Wright on their performances at that concert? Yeah, I did uh, Sherbet that day. 
Daryl flew in from America to do that. I did JPY, and I did Neil Johns, and I did Stevie Wright. It was the only time I've ever, right up until then, I've never really done sessions or, you know, really worked much for other people. So it was a bit of a scary day, but um, I'll tell you, I was glad when it was all over. It was uh, a big relief. Yeah, there'd been a lot of songs to learn if you're playing for five bands. Truth. Yeah, well, look, we didn't we didn't actually play on stage for that long for each band. They did a few songs and I offered them. They just had that many acts on, you know. So, uh, so if we go back to the start tone, do we start at uh, Wheelbarrow? Is that the name of the first band that you're in? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I was just left school. I had a a day job, which um, it was incredibly boring day job. I went to the uh, school, uh, what do you call them? They look for jobs for you. Uh, the old CES. Oh, no, not CES. It, it's a, it's like a guy that comes in, a vocational guy, oh, you yeah. know. Yeah. And he said he said to me, I said, well, what do you think I'll be then? After I told you everything about me, he said, you'd make a really good clerk. <laughs> so I went and got a job as a clerk at the State Fisheries Department, didn't I? Now, I did the same file every day for about eight months. My boss used to walk in and go, hey, uh, what's your name again? Uh, he said, have you done that file I gave you yesterday? I said, yeah, I did it last week, the week before, the week before that, and a month, couple of months before that. <laughs> he said, good, then we'll do it again then. And uh, while I was doing that, I made my first record, which was... Um, my brother on drums, we were called Wheelbarrow, and we had a song called Dane's Art. We had a full orchestra on it and everything. Bloody hell. Wow. Yeah. Dame Zara. Dame Zara, is that after Dame Zara Bates? Dame Zara, um, Holt. Uh, Harold Holt's wife, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, Dame Zara Bates. And she had a, she had a um, you know, a love lost column in the, in the newspaper. And we just looked at it one day and our, our singer said, Jesus, that would make good lyrics, you know, let's make a song out of it. And we did. So after Wheelbarrow, is that when you went to Harry Young and Sabbath? Yeah, and that, it turned into Harry Young and Sabbath. Brother left and another member left and then we got a uh, new drummer and guitar player and we continued on then as Harry Young and Sabbath made a few records. Didn't have a great deal of success, but we had a little bit here and there. Did Harry you, had a bit of a hit. Did you play on Wheat in the Field? Yeah. 
good stuff. That's actually my my brother was still in the band, and that's him playing drums on it as well. I think. Oh, okay. So um, we did that. We made a few records, and then after that was Sherbet. I joined Sherbet. Then they had a pretty good run, didn't I? Sherbet, I've heard of them. <laughs> yeah, I've heard. Yeah, of I've heard. Of them. <laughs> they're, they're a big bunch of blokes with funny hair and bomber jackets. Yeah, yeah. Well, we wore all sorts of stuff, you know. Like I, I often say to people, but well, people say to me, they go, "You still got your old wardrobe?" And I say, "Well, no, I don't." But um, <laughs> if you go to the Mardi Gras this year, you'll probably see some of it. <laughs> <laughs> so that would have been a big change joining Sherbet. Like was Sherbet, you know, established when you joined, or were they yeah. up and coming? So oh, they were up and coming, but yeah, look, they've been around for a couple of years. And yeah. um, they had Sam C. He was on keyboards, and he was a really good keyboard player as well as he's a great guitar player. And they had Dennis Lachlan. They had two vocals, Daryl and Dennis, and Clive Shakespeare. And then um, Dennis left, and Sam left. So I joined, and uh, I think they had Bruce Worrell was on bass. Yep, I replaced him. Right at uh, when when the Free the People came out, so it was a good time because it was a, hit, a bit of a hit, and we hit a couple of big tours like um, uh, Creedence Clearwater Revival. We did oh. uh, Brisbane, Sydney, and Melbourne with those guys. You know, from playing in a little club to playing to sixty thousand. How was uh, How was Fogarty? Did you Did you get to meet him and stuff? No, I only met I only met the. Uh, the drummer and the bass player. So, yeah, Doug, um, Doug Clifford and Stu Cook. That's it, yeah. yeah. And they, they were fantastic. I mean, these other good players. It's only a three-piece, you know, and the two two guys are on stage playing just bass and drums and then um, John would come in in a helicopter <laughs> and land on stage. <laughs> wow, oh, big arrival, eh? <laughs> and that was that was about the time. What well, you got the gun and you're a woman with the, the two seventy nineteen seventy two hits. Was that around that time? Oh, roughly, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think it was the first year. A lot happened in the first year, so we went from these little gigs to bigger gigs, and um, then we started recording. We did um, you've got the gun, and then we did uh, Cassandra. Now we had quite a few hits. Oh, yeah. In the early earlier days with Clive, you know, Clive was a very good writer and guitar player, so we had, we had a pretty good band then. Mm. When you joined, that's when the kind of the decision was made, uh, I guess, to do your own stuff and to write your own material. And, and Garth and Clive obviously wrote the bulk of it. Yeah, yeah. In the early days, yeah, I wrote a couple of things, but not much. Um, but in oh, those days, of course. I wrote a couple of things, not much. How's that? Yeah. Yeah, but you had it on record, right? So you'd have an A side and a B side. So uh, one day I wrote the B side to um, Summer Love, which was a big hit. Yeah, massive. You know, you get the same dough on the B side as you do on the right side, and that's that's what uh, gave me enough money to get out of Aussie and go and have a look at a bit of the world. You know, I went overseas with Roger and Daryl, hanging off Roger Davies' shirt tails, you know. Yeah. Uh, had a fabulous time. I couldn't believe the world, you know. And I really hadn't left Sydney, you know, till that time. So um, I was glad I wrote the B-side there. <laughs> and I just split up with my girlfriend and, and um, the song was called You Go Your Way and I'll Go Mine. 
Well, lucky uh, you broke uh, up with a girlfriend. It might have been called, we're so happy we're still together. <laughs> and I think, so I thought, oh, what am I going to do now? I know. I'll get over it and I'll have to get another girlfriend. There you go. <laughs> there you go. That's how you do Just, it. Um, tell us about writing How's That because it was a song that didn't come together initially quickly, did it? No. Well, look, we had the uh, verses. The Garth wrote the verses and we had them hanging around for months on end. So, and I used to live at Watson's Bay, which is just around the corner from his house. And uh, I used to go over every night and go, well, we're going to do something with how's that? And he goes, yeah, but let's have a drink first in his room underneath the house, a big winery sort of section there. And we used to go in there and drink, so we didn't get much done. Really. He just cracked a lot of jokes <laughs> and fell on the floor and stuff. But um, eventually I came up with a chorus. Then we went in and did it at... EMI with Richard Lutz, as just as we mixed it and finished it. What was his name? Oh, Arthur Sheriff, yeah. He was talent scout for um, English record companies, Rocket Records and uh, CBS and that. He was in town and he heard us mixing it. He went, and he's, he's just like Minder. You know that show Minder? Yeah. yeah. Like George on that, on that show there, he had a black suit on and a white tie. Hello, boys. How you just going, you know? <laughs> oh, I like the sound of that, you know. Uh, give it to me. We don't want to go and have a listen to it. And he, he took it into another room and he was in there for hours. Came out and he said, I'm going to make this a hit in England for you. We went, oh, great. <laughs> we didn't know, of course, if it would ever be one, but it, it ended up being one. So, yeah, we were lucky. And Arthur was terrific, uh, fantastic person. And uh, yeah. that was a really good time in my life, you know. I had uh, We were travelling around the world. And so number four in the UK, number one in Australia, obviously, number one in New Zealand, number four in the UK, number six in Holland and number eight yeah. in Norway. They don't even play cricket in Norway, for Christ's sake. Um, so yeah, I know. They didn't know what it meant, but you should hear the um, – there was a couple of bands covered it. Oh, really? You can't, you can't translate how's that, you know. If you listen to the German one, it's like, ho, 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 das Pinals, you know. That <laughs> <laughs> sounds really funny. Du hast immer gemeint, ich hätte es so schön. Manchmal waren die Tränen mein einziger Freund. Doch ich hab viel nachgedacht und bin erwacht aus meinem Schlaf. Und ich bleibe nicht länger dein friedliches Schaf. Das Stammste was, das hättest du mir Mein Schatz, ich hab dich durchschaut, deine Tricks, die kenn ich längst. Ich weiß mehr, als du denkst. We had a bit of a hit in Brazil as well. Oh, but wow. it wasn't us that it wasn't us that had the hit, it was um James Last Orchestra. Do you oh, remember them? God, yeah. Yeah. What they covered. Well, um that? they they did how's that and the only singing parts they did in it was how how is that? The rest of it was all instrumental. 
but I'd like to. Um, I got it translated into uh, Portuguese, <laughs> so I'll get round. To, I'll get round to doing it one day. Oh, it's very Latiny, so you're fluent in Portuguese, are you, Tone? No, I'm absolutely effluent. Effluent. <laughs> 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 Definitely not fluent. So how many cover versions of it were done? Oh, there's a few. Uh, we had, um, there was a fantastic, I think it was Danish, the band was called Carlin's House. They did a cover of it and it was really quite heavy and oh, um, wow. really, really good. We went to a few places where there was, in Germany, where there was, a couple of bands playing it, you know. So uh, we had a cover there. James Last covered it, but not not much. No, we haven't had our stuff covered much, really. Didn't you have some of the more recent, uh, or the when I say more recent, the latter-day stuff that you did as Sherbs, wasn't some of that covered in recent times by a band? Yeah, that was the guy with the helmet on. What is it, the bike helmet? Um, the two guys, French guys. Yeah, Daft Punk covered one. And uh, so we had a couple with that. And really was the beginning of the song that they used. Uh, so that that was, that had been good for us. Okay. And, of course, having how's that on the cricket now is, is good for me. <laughs> yeah. Every time the cricket comes on, I go, here comes another dollar twenty. you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now, is, is, it, uh, is it folklore or is it fact that uh, Sherbet used to have a, uh, a, a cricket kit uh, on tour? Yeah, we had a kit, yeah. Daryl is, is a great fast bowler. You don't want to be batting when he's bowling. He's a good, really good fast bowler. Oh, okay. Uh, and he was a good uh, batsman as well. Roger was a great batsman and a wicked keeper. And to Davies, you mean? Yeah, yeah. So he was very good at uh, at, at the game because you know Roger be- became the manager, probably the greatest manager in the world. Probably still is. Oh yeah, Tina, know? didn't he? Tina Turner. Oh yeah, Livy Newton John, Tina yep. Turner, uh, Mick Jagger. Wow. Peter Townsend. Who else? Um, Joe Cocker, yeah, that was his yeah. favourite. He manages Pete and and wow. and sure. Yeah, so he's got a pretty right. bloody good catalogue, hasn't he? <laughs> yeah, it's not I'm just thinking he, he wouldn't be short of the quid, I wouldn't imagine. No, he's not short of the quid. Tony, when yeah. um, how's that you know going to number four, four in England and it's doing well in Brazil and stuff? Did the band tour England or Brazil or any of those places? Yeah, we were in England. We were in England when it was a hit because we got off the plane. And uh, Arthur Sheriff was on the other side where Customs is. He said, "said No worries, boys. You don't you don't need to catch a bleeding cab." And I go, "What was that?" He said, "Because I got a couple of limos for you. You just hit the top 40. <laughs> so we got in there and we did. We played a couple of times. We hit, we ran three shows at the New Vic in London, in Soho, and then we did we did a couple of four or five. Like we did a Wolverhampton soccer club, and we did a few other gigs. We we uh, played in Glasgow at Tan Payton. Tan Payton's the manager of um, Bay City Rollers. The Bay City Rollers, yeah. Now that it was snowing then, and that was one of the hottest gigs I've ever done. They had all the doors shut, and that, and it was it was so hot that Alan was playing a drum, a, a kid of um, Perspex. One of the drums cracked. That's how hot it was. Wow. Jesus. Yeah. But um, 
So we did a lot. We did tons of promotion while we were there. We went on Basil Brutz a few times, Top of the Pops, <laughs> um, and uh, just the local, lots of radio and sort of local tele, television shows. And uh, I, I love the UK. It, you know, they've got a very healthy respect for music over there. It was just a, a great time to be there. You know, food wasn't so great in those days, but um, everything else was really good. There was plenty of people you could go and see. It was just a, a rock and roll time, you know.
Tony Mitchell coming in the next episode of Life of Brian where we'll talk about, you mentioned earlier about Angry Anderson, uh, you know, being Angry Anderson on stage. Uh, we've got a little bit from Tony in in the second part of this interview where he talks about the night that Daryl went off. Daryl went off. Daryl went off and, some, well, someone threw something at him. So how that oh, right. how that played out. So that's part of uh, what's coming up in, in part two and also a little bit more about uh, the writing and how's that in part two as well. But... Let's get to the next part of our Life of Brian, and it is, of course, part two of our interview with uh, the Backmans. Backman and Backman, they're touring across uh, Canada and the US in the coming months, so unless you're going there, you won't be able to see them, but you can hear them right here. This is Randy, of course, was a member of Guess Who and Backman Turner Overdrive, and Talu had that unbelievable success with She's So High. So, Brian, let's get to the Backmans. Okay, let's do it, Kev. Must be interesting watching it from your point of view, Randy, because when you came up, it was you know we were buying singles. Um, I was I was at my local record bar with my three dollars buying my album, my copy of Sgt. Pepper's, and all that. And, and that that is the world that is so far removed from where the music industry is right now. It must be weird for you to see how that's transformed. It's terrible. Yeah, I hate whoever the guy is who invented Napster, the converting. <laughs> the songs to digital and then making it free. And then we thought Apple was going to be a savior to put in Apple music. And then, so they get it and they control it and they take 90% of your money. So every dime that's made, you're getting a penny, they're getting nine cents. They get the money instead of nobody getting it. You don't get it. It's kind of the story of the music. Because now we're getting a little bit of revenge because nobody's seen an act play live for about three years. So now that we're going out, I see that, uh, Bonnie Reed's coming to Victoria, which is where we live. The seats are $800. They used to be $80. Now they've added zero to Bonnie. She won a Grammy, the last Grammy. We should do that. Everybody now is like, this is our chance to make money for the last three years. And a lot of people do have money. They've been sitting at home, not spending any money, not going out. So when you do do a concert, it's pretty well attended. And I toured all the summer with Burton Cummings. Uh, as Bachman Cummings doing the Guess Who and BTO songs. And not only did we have sellouts, we had overages and went into percentage every night. It was a nice day. We had a walk-up of six or seven or 800 people. Wow. Just because it was a great day and they could get out and they could get out of their house and let's go see Bachman Cummings or let's go see whoever else was playing in Toronto or where, whatever city you were in. So it was, it's been a great boom and it's kind of going on now. We're set, set to go out now for the summer. We get paid back for the last couple of years. Randy, well, we talk about rejection. You got rejected a number of times. I've got to ask you the 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 obviously the most one of the most memorable times was when Homer Simpson rejected you and told you not to play any of the new stuff and only play the old stuff. That's a beautiful yeah. moment in The Simpsons. You must that have loved really doing that. Fun. That was really great. It was amazing doing The Simpsons. Uh, one day, out of my fax machine, came a request to use my songs. You ain't seen nothing yet. Taking care of business. I was like, well, they going to be on The Simpsons? Who's going to do them? They said, well, you're going to do them. You're being, you're being drawn right now by Matt Crane. Oh, really? Yeah, he went to Evergreen College in Seattle. He grew up on BTO, and he wants to do a whole show on initial bands. CSNN, ELO, BTO, <laughs> REO Speedwagon, all the band that, how cool it was in the, in the, 60s, in the 70s when everybody had initials. And so uh, they flew me in there, and I did my voiceover. And to sit at a table... With Yardley Smith and all, who came in a, a house coat with her hair in rollers <laughs> and did the voices because she lived a block away. She came with big pink bunny slippers. I was just she just came in and 
they did a reading with me there and they said, you can't do your part when they're there because you'll be in awe at the guy doing all, these guys doing all the voices. So we have to do you alone. So I went in alone, but then they had a, a, a fake reading for me where they read every script and see, do they laugh at a thing or do they change the line? It's almost like doing a, a real comedy show, real stand-up show. They all sit there reading a the script. So they treated me really well in that when my birthday came, I got incredible presents, jackets, homework jackets and games and got great merch from them. It was really a great experience. It was a lot of fun. And to be in that royalty of being on The Simpsons with Aerosmith and the Rolling Stones and everybody else who had these little cameo things, it was a really cool moment. Oh, no, it's great. It's fantastic. At the time, The Simpsons were so embraced by people that when I was coming home on the plane, the stewardess said to me, well, what were you doing in L.A.? I said, I was doing The Simpsons. She actually said to me, what is their house like inside? <laughs> and I said, what? It's a drawing. She went, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, so the Simpsons were so real for a moment. They were like, Homer was such a thing of Archie Bunker. The little girl, Lisa, would like anybody's little girl. There was a, And Bart was the, you know, the smart aleck little kid. They, they had such a real personalities at the time. Yeah. No, it's, it's, what is their house like? That's classic. Who are those pleasant old men? It's BTO. They're Canada's answer to ELP. Their big hit was TCB. That's how we talked in the 70s. We didn't have a moment to spare. Hello, Springfield! <laughs> We're going to play all your old favorites. But first, we'd like to dip into our new CD. Taking care of business! Don't worry, sir. We'll get to that no one. No talking! No new crap! Taking care of business now! Get to the working overtime plan! Unbelievable. Dumbass. We just did. Whatever. Be sure to stick around for the battle of the elementary school bands. Oh, Homer, Lisa's in that. I stand by my disappointed groan. Uh, you mentioned you, you toured with Burton. How's your relationship with him these days? Uh, really good. You know, he lives in Moose Jaw, which is in is that Alberta, Saskatchewan. Yeah, we, we toured all summer together. And uh, our last gig was last September, the, the big ending of the summer. Uh, we played the PE Pacific National Exhibition in Toronto. We have a couple of gigs on the calendar for this year, but I'm basically uh, we're saving this year for Bachman Bachman, my thing with Tal, and working on um, uh, more new music. Yeah. He's got an amazing voice, uh, Burton Cummings. That must have been, and I'm sure live, and I never, I've never seen him live, but live it must have another level that, that he can go to that you maybe sometimes don't even get on the records. Well, I've been very fortunate. He's one of the best voices in rock and roll and, and very enduring. I mean, still doing it after 40, 50 years. He's like a Mick Jagger, Paul McCartney. Uh, incredible voice. When he sang those hits, he was 18 or 19 when he sang These Eyes and Laughing at American Woman. He must have been 19 or 20 by that time. Mm. Uh, just an amazing voice. Yeah. And then I got the other great voice, Fred Turner, who had the Harley Davidson Mack truck voice, more like John Fogarty. <laughs> and so I was very lucky to have these guys as kind of my partial part part voice in the band because I was pretty much writing songs for them. And if they didn't want to sing a song like Fred, I would sing it. Then I got lucky enough that a couple of songs I sang ended up being hit songs. I became a singer. I didn't want to sing at all. I just wanted to play guitar. Yep. 
So very much, very much a reluctant singer. Yeah, kind of like Diana Cross. She never wanted to sing, and now when she sings, it's really great. They had to twist her arm to make her sing. Yeah, she just wanted to play piano. I just, I was just happy to be George Harrison or Hank Marvin and just play guitar. Yeah, tell was singing something that you wanted to do, or something that you you had to do. Was there was there a choice there? Uh, well, yeah, there's always a choice. That's one thing you learn about life, right? You always have a choice. And you always have the power to say no. Well, I went to university, and then by the time I kind of came around to the idea of making a go of it with music, I I thought I, I, I'd rather be in the position of solo artist. You know, I got married young, right? And I didn't want to just do what normally guys do is they pile into a van and disappear for six months and play laundromats and video arcades anywhere they can. And they're sharing dog food and beer and stuff, you know, and it's just, I didn't want to do that. I, I was hoping that I could write my way above, you know, skip the, the next three, four, five levels of, you know, ordeal, I guess you would call it. And um, I could, that I could write my way into a record deal. I thought that, you know, the right song or a handful of songs would get me farther than joining a band, being one of four or five guys and just tooling around in a van for a year or 10 or 20. So, so yeah, and that meant singing. So then I had to, I had to sing. And I felt self-conscious about it at first, but I just, you just get used to it. Those, uh, those early days on the roads, Randy, they weren't that, they weren't as bad as Tal just painted them. Were they really, you, you, and some some amazing things came out of some of those little gigs that you did in those early days. I mean, that curling place that you did uh, uh, where American Woman finished up because you yeah, broke what, a guitar string. What people realise is that night after, after the curling thing, writing these uh, American Woman, we went back to the one hotel room with two d- double beds and a cot. You had to flip a coin. The winner won the cot. The other two guys <laughs> had to sleep in a bed together. So, I mean, we stayed in one room. You couldn't afford anything else. You're making $50 a night, $75 a night. You're paying for the gas. And like Tal says, you're eating cat food out of a tin. Yeah. On, you know, on saltine crackers that yeah. you get free in a restaurant. Yeah. You go into the bathroom, you grab the free crackers that come with the soup. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the uh, the economics of your uh, of your early days weren't good. It was, you know, you're being paid four hundred and the and the gas cost was five hundred. So you were you were gone before you even left uh, Canada. Well, you, you tried to stay ahead of the gas bill. We had an SO credit card. That's all we had. Hotel, we didn't have a credit card. You know, we had to pay cash for everything. Every so I carried the cash in a grocery bag, a brown paper bag that I rolled up like a lunch. So nobody's going to steal your lunch. So I didn't have a briefcase or anything. I, and then it was a dollar to get into your dance. So I had this, the little bag with maybe three or four hundred ones, one dollar bills in it. And, and we paid everything. And I kept all the books for the band and kept the receipts and did all that for years. Uh, well, that, that is omitting some of the other <laughs> challenges of doing lower end tours in Canada. And, and what that really means is once you get west of the mountains here, we're, we're in British Columbia right on the West Coast. So we have very mild weather here. We have by a significant margin the best weather in Canada. But once you get uh, east of these mountains over here, it is Game of Thrones. It is 30 <laughs> below zero. It is, you know, you blow a tire, you freeze to death, and in, you know, 25 minutes, you're in the middle of nowhere. I mean, it's a sparsely populated country, especially back then. 
and even 25 years ago, people go to a show and their favorite band is there and it's all exciting and the band looks glamorous and maybe their imagination is kind of fueling that, that image of glamour. But, you know, unless you're, you're making pretty good money, it can be tough. I mean, it's ACDC. It's a long way to the top if you want to rock and roll. I mean, that song is didn't come out of nowhere. Yeah. So... I'm not trying to complain about it. I was just hoping I could maybe skip a couple of those those things. Yeah. In terms of recording the stuff that you're doing, you mentioned you're, you're writing some music together now. Is that is uh, is an album? Uh, you know, whatever an album is these days. Is are we going to see that in the in the future somewhere on one of these streaming platforms? Uh, what you're doing now? Well, we we got my lost Gretsch guitar. Oh yeah. Up. After 45, 47 years or something like that. And so the documentary is being done on that. In the middle of that, we recorded the Backman Bachman album. So some of the songs just appear in there because we were filmed in the studio doing it. So a couple of songs will be in that movie, the as rockumentary we're calling it, on how we got the guitar back. Uh, the, the trade was done in Japan last candidate, the Canadian ambassador's, what's it called, residence there? The embassy. The embassy and... Uh, so it'll they'll be in there, and that's when we release the album when the when the rockumentary's done. Yeah. So it's a 1957 <laughs> Gretsch B120 Chet Atkins. Is that that was the guitar that you found? Where? How did you lose it? Yeah, it was called the Chet Atkins 6120. It's the it's the kind Dwayne Eddy played and uh, um, Eddie Cochran. Oh wow! Uh, I wanted one. I got one. I played it on Shake It All Over, Taking Care of Business. I wrote, I learned to play that guitar and wrote all the songs on it and played all the songs, played it on every song, either as a lead or rhythm guitar, just for different guitar textures. And then it was stolen from my hotel room in, I think, 76 and gone for 40 something years, 45 years. And Tal and I were doing YouTubes a couple of years ago. And when you're doing a live YouTube down the side of the screen, there's a little black column and people will type in there. Bad hair day, nice pants, buddy. <laughs> Lousy song. Yeah. And one came in. You said, guys are still terrible. Yeah. One, <laughs> one came and said, I found the Gretsch. And it was a guy who had done facial recognition with a picture of the Gretsch on the internet and found my guitar in Japan with a guy named Takeshi, who was about 33 at the time, kind of the Japanese Brian Setzer, who did a lot of Stray Cats rockabilly songs phonetically because he doesn't even speak English. Hotel's wife, who's now his wife, Coco, Eriko, uh, Japanese, she contacted him and said, we've seen your video, you've got this guitar. And he acknowledged, yes. And then I found one to trade back to him. I found his sister, basically, two serial numbers away. And we had to wait about almost two years to fly to Japan to do the trade. But we were lucky enough that Ian uh, Mackay, who's the uh, Canadian ambassador there in Tokyo, he said, I've been here for a couple of years. I haven't done anything because of COVID, but we're going to open on Canada Day, July the 1st. Come to Tokyo, exchange the guitar you got with the Kishi and get yours back. So we did that on Canada Day. And it was an amazing, wonderful thing to happen. Uh, right after that, Tal and Coco got married in Japan, uh, in Tokyo, and it was great. And now we're back. They're just editing the film now uh, on of all the people involved. And a lot of histor- historical footage of me as being in the, uh, and the guitars being in the, in the, rockumentary and it'll be coming out i guess this year later next year they're just finishing it up how did it feel when you got the guitar in your hands again and they were actually you know uh, 46 years did it feel like they did yeah if you got on your high school your teenage bicycle and went for a ride it's the same thing just a 
hold that guitar. Guitar is very in intimate. You you kind of put your arms around it. You breathe, the guitar breathes. Your heart beats, the, the guitar feels it. You can't do that with a piano or drums. The guitar is the most instru intimate instrument. So to hold it again, I, uh, I, don't, I don't know what my face looked like, but they wouldn't let me meet Takeshi or see the guitar until I walked on stage Canada. We got there two weeks early to get used to the rhythm and being 17 hours out of body sync and everything. And so they waited until I walked on stage and Takeshi was playing Taking Care of Business. And then I gave him a brotherly hug. We traded the guitars. I finished playing TCB. It was amazing. And so I don't know my facial or body reaction at the time, but the, the film, uh, Tyler Meeson, that was going like this. He had captured the right moment of my reaction because he said, you're not an actor and there's no second take on this. So we can't let you see it ahead of time. Whatever, however you react, it'll be in your whole being, your whole body, your face and everything. And so they captured it. And he said, they've got it. So, and they won't let me see it. So I'll see it when the, when the documentary's done. <laughs> Just as well he hadn't trashed the guitar, that it was still in good, uh, good condition. Otherwise, your reaction might have been uh, different. Whoever, whoever had it either didn't play it that much or they played it a lot and took really loving, good care of it. There's been no mods, no repairs, nothing. It's just got the nice weather cracking patina in it. And um, it's got a magic. It's got a twang that's like, it's like the old twang Eddie Rebel Rouser. Yeah. You know, 40 miles of bad road kind of sounds. It's just yeah. great. Tal, you got any uh, any sort of plans to do any solo stuff in the future? Or do you, is the immediate plan just the, the Bachman and Bachman stuff? Well, I don't have a definite plan at the moment. Um, I've just been working on the stuff with Dad, and I've been producing the documentary. I that's that's what I've kind of been doing. Now it's spec work, so <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping that it pays off. But um, <laughs> yeah, like I, yeah, I was the one that wrote up the the treatment for the documentary and did all the pitching, and I've been helping executive produce it and stuff. So that's taken up quite a bit of time, but. No, I'm totally open to, to doing solo stuff in the future. I mean, I don't know, like I said, I don't know that I would ever do, well, I'm older now too. I don't know that I would do the, the kind of album I did in 1999, but I would still, I could still do something sort of like it. Yeah. Maybe a little bit more focused. Now in this country, we've always said Backman Turner Overdrive or you know, Randy Backman. Is it Backman or Barkman? Well, in America, they say Bachman. All of the in Germany, they say Bachman. In Canada and Australia, they say Bachman. So it doesn't really matter to me. I, I don't care. As long as somebody's saying your name, that's, that's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> what, um, what song still gives you a kick when you hear, hear it played by other people or you hear it on the radio or you hear which, which one of your songs still pricks your ears up, Randy? My song? Yeah. Uh, anytime any I'm scanning the radio and I hear a song, of mine or tells it's a thrill it really is like wow i'm still around they're still playing that song uh it's it's one of the amazing especially if you land in another town you're in england or you go to chicago or new york you, the taxi or the limo your song comes on the radio and you know you're on wls in chicago or something it's it's pretty amazing well these days if you're walking in a supermarket and you hear your song coming out of the supermarket radio or an elevator in London, you hear she's so high. <laughs> I yeah, I, I'm excited every time I hear she's so high on the radio. You know what what why I'm really excited is not because of royalties or anything like that, because you know, after a financially cataclysmic divorce, you know, you that sort of fades. Um, if you know what I mean. <laughs> what I'm excited about 
is, is it's not to boast. It's, I feel grateful because because when when I wrote that song and I met with Bob Rock, who co-produced it with me, I, I came in with a, uh, a, a like a fanatically precise idea of how I wanted that song to sound. I mean, sonically sound yep. and the instrumentation and 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 I had all these ideas and I was I was I really thought I was onto something at the time. Long story short is I wanted it to sound sonically quite different than everything else that was out on the radio. So I knew what genre it was going to be. I knew what radio formats it would get sort of, you know, it would sound like it belonged to, but I really wanted it to pop. So I came in with all these sort of IQ ideas and echo reverb compression ideas, and which boiled down to not having a lot of echo or reverb because at the time everyone was saturating everything with echo and reverb. And I wanted it to sound like Chris Thomas and George Martin working at Abbey Road Studios in 1969 with the Beatles might have produced and mixed that song, yeah. right? And and I thought if we could do that, it would never be sonically time-stamped, right? It would never sound like it had come out in 1999 because at the time, you wouldn't have known if it had come out 10 minutes earlier or 20 years earlier. Yeah. So, and for that reason, 20 years on, it, you would, it would still kind of sound cool because it had threaded all of those needles. Yeah. And so that's what I'm really excited about is every time I hear that on the radio, I think this is exactly how we wanted it to sound. And if I could mix it again, I would not change one single thing. And that alone is like a huge relief because how many times have you, you've written a song or you mix it or you produce it. And then like a year later, you're like, what, what was I thinking? You know, well, we put a trombone solo on this song. It's insane. You know, what, what where were we? But I, that's what I feel grateful for. Yeah. Hey, thank you both so much for your time. Uh, you've been very generous with your time and, and uh, I really appreciate it. And it's been a, a bloody massive thrill for me to talk to you both. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. Be in touch. bit of Backman Turner Overdrive there. Fantastic to catch up with uh, with Randy and Tal. And uh, we've got many more international and local acts coming in our forthcoming episodes, Brian. We talked to Mike Rudd. Yes. What a, a good, that, was, that was a good chat with Mike. Good fellow really, he is. He's really good. Yeah, he's a good fellow. Toddy An Goldsmith. Icon. Oh, she's fun. 
delightful we human being. With her too. Yeah, delightful yeah. human being. Alan Clark, the lead singer in the Hollies, uh, I caught up with him, and uh, Jesse Colin Young, who's the bloke who was uh, in the Young Bloods, who had that massive uh, song at the end of the '60s into the '70s called uh, "Get Together," which is just one of the iconic hippie peace songs and he's still around he's still making great music so we catch up with him as well and, and plenty more but as we mentioned Brizy I can call you that yes Brizy uh, yes <laughs> Toddy calls him Brizy oh. I made the mistake of telling them that how much I dislike being called called Brizy <laughs> so they have not called me anything but Brizy since and you just made Brizy and you just made that mistake one more time so yes, <laughs> so Brizy, uh, show me the photos from the toilets. We, we, <laughs> uh, Brizy sings. Show me the photos from the toilets. That's that's the album cover. That's it. It's, that's it. Uh, that's it. It's done. Uh, we're going to finish by playing Rock and Roll Survivor. This is a duet from Bobby Marchini and uh, and Harry Young, and they talk about it. And there's a line in this that is you. There's a line in this song which is about, you know, rockers from the 70s and 80s and, and how they're viewed now and how they've survived or not survived and got through it. But there's a line in it about, about buying your penthouse, penthouse on the coast. Yeah, that's, that's the right thing to do. That's the way to play it. Yeah, it's done as a, a real estate investment advice in the middle of the song. Um, oh. <laughs> written, spoken and authorised by Brian Mannix of The Gold Coast. But I like, think they've got the Mercot's number in the lyrics to this song as well. <laughs> what is that number again? Well, Kevin, I'm glad you asked me that. It's one three hundred triple five five seven six. I'll say that number again: one three hundred triple five five seven six. Mercots.edu.au. Uh, great, uh, great tips on uh, on being a better driver, and then practical. Actually, get there and get behind the wheel of the car and let them help you, because they will make you a better driver or someone that you know needs to be a better driver. Get them a gift certificate. We're going to finish with uh, with Bobby and uh, and Harry and uh, their song, but uh, we'll talk to Bobby first. Uh, look after yourself, Brizy. Thank you, Kevy. Thank you very much. <laughs> I love oh, I love being called Kevy. I love it when people call me Kevy. You're just saying that so that I won't do it. <laughs> See you, Brizy. See you, Kevy. <laughs> Rock and roll survivor. How did how did this all come about, Bobby? Well, I'm a compulsive um, lyric writer, and I'll, I've got little sheets of lyrics all over the house, but nothing ever happens with them, um, and they just get bigger and bigger and more complex. And <laughs> so I met Harry, uh, and which is strange because we should have run into each other when back in the seventies. Um, doing the Ted Mullery concerts, and I heard his voice, and I thought, oh, man, this this guy can really sing. So uh, I said, would you have a look at this? And he did, and he took my lyrics, which had gotten way too big, I think yeah. about eight verses and, and whatever, and he punched them and moved them and pushed them around and turned it into what it is. But basically, it's a song about us survivors from the 70s. And now the Harry you're talking about is Harry Young, who uh, Harry of, Young. a lot of people would remember from Harry Young and Sabbath, which was a band that had a, a really big hit called The Wheat in the Fields in the, I, I guess that was the late part of the 60s or early 70s, early 70s that would have been. Yeah, somewhere there, yeah. Yeah, and a really big voice, really distinctive and uh, a voice that you wouldn't forget once you heard it. My goodness me, that rich, deep voice. He's lost nothing in all the years. No. Yeah. Where did where did the uh, the lyrics for this? Because it's a it's a most kind of uh, interesting lyric. It's a it's a kind of Kevin Johnson rock and roll. I gave you the best years of my life type 
feel about it. Where did where did all this sort of spring out of you? I'm on a lot of music sites and I see a lot of my peers and people I knew in the 70s and some of them, the music life hasn't treated them well. Yeah. Others have lost their health. Others have lost their families. Others just didn't simply didn't make it. I, st- I started thinking about them and writing it down. Um, and the more stories I saw, the more people I saw that were coming onto onto Facebook looking for reminders of their young self or playing their old GTK. Oh, <laughs> God, yes, yes, yes. Things, you know, and, and a lot of records from those days were coming back and um, a lot of the videos. And I look at them and I thought, what happened? Where did you all go? And I started to try and find a lot of them, particularly some of my women friends. Yeah. And the stories, Kevin, were... were some were good, but some were very, very sad. Yeah. Um, you know, the music business wasn't a kind one as people got older. That's what the song's about, you yeah. know? Yeah. And and Harry's a survivor, you know? Harry has maintained all through the years a contact with music. He's put out um, a, a wonderful album of heavier kind of rock stuff um, called Road to Damascus. Uh, I'm not sure how long ago, a couple of years. Yeah. And uh, I believe he's working on a country album now. All right. So he's a rock and roll survivor. My my partner, Pete, you know, who was in the Ladidas, he's another one. Um, So there are still some of us out there um, pushing that big old musical rock up the big old hill. <laughs> Not making any money out of it, I don't think, but we're having an amazingly good time. And good, good, yep. good. Well, congratulations on Rock and Roll Survivor and thanks for sharing that with us and it's been good to catch up and we'll do it again. Thank you for including me in your in your program. Rock and roll survivor, your hearing's nearly shot. You're an icon from the 70s, and your memory's not so hot. And no one comes to visit you, wouldn't like it if they did. Your loneliness is company enough for where your heart has hid. She sang with all the greats In her swag of memories Her friends and lifelong mates The echoes of her favorite songs The highs, the lows, the tears Now she spends most every night alone Among her souvenirs They travel around this country And she'll be in love with all On the coast, your first wife took the money. I guess that hurt the most. 
sold your soul to the devil and your guitar to the man. You wanted to her, come back to her, but you just can't find the band. She's an angel in a pretty dress or a costume made of feathers. She can move you in a tight blue jeans or rock you in her leathers. She now prefers the slow lane, but the passion's still inside her. Until now, the story's left untold. The ladies of Survivor. They travel around this country, and she'll be in love with all. From tiny little two-bit rooms, the clubs, the bars, the halls. Stages look the same each night when you sing your song, my friend. Country, and she'll be 